Good morning. It's a privilege to be here. Um, I find it interesting that uh, we were just singing that the, the wind and the waves know his name, and we've all been watching the wind and the waves named Dorian. You know I'm saying? But let's be reminded that the wind and the waves know his name. And I know that many of you have been in prayer. I, I, I want to know, is anybody here that just uh, canceled your vacation to Florida to be here today? You know, um, no, we, it, 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 the, this is a tough time. Um, and uh, as many are hunkered down and, and watching and waiting to see how badly they're going to be hit, what kind of mess they're going to be in. And, uh, and then, and I know some of us, uh, Deb and I were watching very closely events in Midland, Odessa yesterday afternoon. And again, another mass shooting, 280 of those since the first of the year in the USA. These are tough times. Nationally, these are tough times in, in which to live. And we're going to look at Lamentations chapter 3 this morning. Uh, so if you have a Bible or you've got a smart device and you want to you put your thumb there um, and get the place, then we'll be reading from Lamentations chapter 3 in just a moment. You may have heard of the story of the man who had two sons, and one of his sons was an extreme optimist. I mean, off the charts, rose-colored glasses never came off. He had another son who was an extreme pessimist. You know, it was, I mean, it was to the core pessimist. It, it was, it was, he was getting desperate, you know, with trying to find some method by which to shock, shock them into some sense of reality. So, Christmas morning came, and he had carefully listened so that the son, the pessimist son, when he woke up on Christmas morning, he, he found every single present that he ever dreamed or imagined or asked for, you know, for, for the months leading up to Christmas. It was all there for him. To his chagrin, the son sat down and began to cry, saying, Dad, these things are going to get broken in no time. To his overly optimistic, off-the-charts optimist son, he had, had delivered to one of the bays of the garage a half-ton of horse manure and left a little note on, in the stocking to go look in the garage for his present. When the dad went to the garage and looked outside, his son was shoveling through, saying, there must be a pony in here somewhere. So the title of the message, There's a Yes in Every Mess, you know, no matter what we're going through, no matter what trials, what hurts, what problems are we're confronting, what insecurities or uncertainties are in our life, God is still at work in the midst of it, is he not? About a year ago, um, Bob Cox and I were, we were laying some floor in the building next door, and I don't know if Bob remembers the conversation. I, I remember it really well. Bob knew that I had recently retired from full-time pastoring in, in, uh, after 18 years in, in down in West Plano. And, and uh, so Bob asked me, Dave, what was the worst day you ever had in ministry? And so I shared. I said, it was, uh, Bob, it was the day I had, I had this real ambitious youth director who started working behind the scenes. And had all these people sworn to secrecy. 
because he wanted to start his own church. And, uh, and by the time the elders in the church found out about it, it was a full-blown, it was already full-blown kind of a deal. And one Sunday morning at the end of the service, 13 families lined up and, and hugged me as they walked out the door, some with tears in their eyes, but they said goodbye. And they went off to plant another church that the pastor and the elders didn't even know was going to happen. And I was devastated. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I went home that after that service, and I was so empty. You know, and uh, for months, my sweet wife Debbie didn't know if I was going to preach a sermon when I got in the pulpit, or if I was just going to resign and walk away, because that's what I felt like. It was the worst day that I ever experienced in ministry. And then Bob followed this question. Well, Dave, what was the best day you ever had in ministry? And as I thought about it, you know what my answer is? Same day. Same day. The next morning, I drug myself out of bed. I had a lunch appointment with a, a pastor here in Frisco, a friend of mine who had asked me to hold him accountable on some stuff he was working out in his life with he and his wife. And, and so I was supposed to meet him for lunch, and I walked into lunch, and he looked at me, and he said, Dave, you look like death warmed over. And I remember replying, well, I'm glad the outside looks like the inside. Because at least I'm not being, you know, I'm being real. And so while we were having lunch, he slid this little piece of paper across the table to me. It had a name on it and a phone number of a guy that we both knew, a guy who was sort of semi-retired, but a fellow that had counseled and helped lots of ministers in times of pain and trial and trouble and burnout. And his name was Dr. Roy. And that afternoon, I called Dr. Roy, and we met for coffee the next day and started a dialogue. And Dr. Roy became my spiritual advisor and my mentor and my friend. Devin, I took him to breakfast last week when he was in town. A godly influence in my life that I could pour my heart out to, that I could be completely and totally honest with and God began to do a work a fresh work in this old boy and so I'm telling you my worst day Bob was also my best because God wasn't done God still had some significant work to do in me and it starts out with absolute honesty you know, Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet. And uh, part of that's because he wrote Lamentations, this whole book full of laments and funeral dirges. In Lamentations chapter 3, begin with verse 47, he says, My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of 
my people. And my eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven will look down and see. Is the weeping prophet. Need to tell you a little bit about what's going on in Lamentations. This little book covers one of the darkest periods in all of ancient biblical history. The darkest day in the history in the life of Israel or the Jewish people. The prophet Jeremiah is overseeing. He's, he's seeing the death of the nation in 587 B.C. His nation, his own people. In effect, he's presiding over, presiding over a funeral for the whole city, the city of Jerusalem. Now, how many of you can remember exactly where you were on 9-11 when you got the news that an airliner had crashed into one of the Twin Towers? How many of you remember exactly where you were? You know, I had just walked out of a a, a Bible study, I was discipling a small group of guys on Tuesday, that Tuesday morning, and we were at Panera Bread, and, and, uh, and as soon as the Bible study was over, our, our gathering was over, John Lanier walked out first, came walking right back in because, because the radio was beginning to blare that word that, a, that an airliner had crashed into one of the Twin Towers. It's indelibly imprinted on my brain. How about you? Remember where you were? That's this, th what we're talking about is Israel's 9-11. This is Israel's 9-11. This is the day the Babylonians knock the gates of the city down and they flood the city with their army and they burn everything and they knock down anything, you know, more than a, one story tall. They burn the temple that was built by Solomon and then they knock down its walls. That's what Jeremy's, Jeremiah is seeing. He's like a modern-day war correspondent describing the destruction and the aftermath. And, and, and all of that's in the book of Lamentations. Now, now there's a, a significant structure to this little book. Jeremiah writes four carefully crafted laments or funeral dirges over the city. Chapters 1, 2, and 4 each contain 22 verses. So if you have a Bible, you can verify that. You can look and see how long these chapters are. So chapters 1, 2, and 4 have 22 verses to them that correspond with the 22 consonants of the Hebrew alphabet. These are a, a, this is an acrostic poem, if you will, each verse beginning with the sequential letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But now chapter 3 that we're going to look at is a little different. It's a little unusual, but it's also laid out as an acrostic. Only the difference is chapter 3 contains 22 paragraphs, and each paragraph is three verses, and each paragraph, the first verse, begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in sequence. Chapter 5, chapter 5 breaks the pattern. Interestingly enough, it's also 22 verses, but it's not an acrostic. It's a very deep, emotional, heartbreaking prayer of intercession. 
if you will. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But as I said, if we're going to see God work, it will start with us being absolutely frank and honest about our lives, about where we are. And that's where Jeremiah is. He's, uh, he doesn't gloss anything over. He expresses his hurt and his anguish in very frank, honest, and open terms. His, t- his eyes are filled with tears. His language is graphic. And so let's read a little of chapter 3. I think on the, on the, uh, the text as I gave it, to the booth starts with 19. I'm going to go back and start with 16. I'm going to start a paragraph ahead of that just because I want you to get the feel for, for uh, the Jeremiah's state of mind and heart as, uh, as we're reading this. He says this, He made my teeth grind on gravel. He made me cower in the ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. And so I say, my endurance has perished. And so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and it's bowed down within me. But, but, this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. And therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love. How do you see God at work in your life? You know, I I don't know how you walked into the room today, but it seems like quite often when we go to church, you know, we put on the mask and people ask us how we're doing. We say fine and we just kind of go about our business. But and, and, and somehow we've gotten the idea that when we come to worship, we ought to leave all our cares behind, just enter into God's presence, just forget all that and just worship. 
And, and I'm trying to tell you, and, and I think Scripture teaches us that if you're hurting, bring it in the room with you. If life isn't going well for you, if things have been turned upside down for you, if you're in a mess, it's okay. Just bring your mess into the room. That's what Jeremiah's doing, isn't he? Before the Lord. He's just speaking honestly about what he sees, what he's experiencing in life. And he's doing it, you know, before, not only before the Lord, but before others. Now, I'm not saying that you and I ought to come in church and, and, uh, we, and just wear, you know, everything on our sleeve and just, you know, and just emotionally kind of vomit all over each other. But what I am saying is that every one of us in this room needs a few folks Godly, spiritual kind of folks that we can be honest and open and, and, and share anything and everything with. I mean, do you have a friend? Do you have a Christian friend? Do you have a godly, God-fearing friend in your life that you can be truly honest and open with? Because that's where the work, that's where the work that God wants to do in us starts. And, and Jeremiah is modeling for us what that kind of honesty, that kind of openness, that, you know, that what, what's really going on inside of him is exposed. It's open. And he's free. Because he can express it before the Lord. So it just starts with us deciding... <laughs> I'm going to quit pretending. I'm going to quit trying to act like everything's okay. I'm going to stop just the, the, this whole denial thing. And I'm going to admit, man, I'm in, a, I'm in a battle. There's a war going on. I'm struggling. I'm really hurting right now. You know, things are not working out. You know, I'm, 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 I'm learning I have to adjust my life to the stuff I didn't plan. That just happens. And it's hitting me pretty hard right now. And, and, and I, need, I need to be able to acknowledge that. There needs to be a place that's safe for me to say that's what's happening with me. And then Jeremiah would say to us, when you find your place in that, you find yourself in that place where you're willing to be honest, remind yourself of who God is. Remind yourself that he is faithful Bring back memories of how the Lord has spoken, how the Lord has worked in your life in the past or in your midst. Are there prayers that were answered? Are there blessings that were realized? Were there promises kept? You see, Jeremiah verse 21, chapter 3, verse 21. But this I call to mind. I bring up this memory. I, I use my ability and my recall to remember. And therefore, he says, I have hope. Therefore, I have hope. Remind yourself of his faithfulness. And this is where in, in the book of Lamentations, you have this little diamond in the rough, this nugget of truth about God. That you know that just that, that sparkles and shines and, and captures our attention here. He says what he says. The steadfast. I'm, here's what I'm remembering. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. 
the old King James, I don't know if some of us, I, I was raised on the King James, you know, conservative West Texas Baptist. I never heard anybody preach anything but the King James until I was probably, well, till I left the church at 16. But, but you know, I was raised on the King James. And, and, and I, I've, I always tend to kind of go back there because the King James, you know, was, best, was based on the best text they had available to them at the time. There's some other texts now that, that have improved, you know, our understanding of some of these verses. But the old King James said, because of the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. It's a little different. Because of the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. And see, the emphasis here, it's like Isaiah is saying, wow, we're still here. We didn't get what we deserved. That's mercy. You know the difference between mercy and grace? there's There's a difference in the definition. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. And Jeremiah is very much aware that every one of them, everyone in Jerusalem had turned their backs on God and been doing it for decades because Isaiah was in, you know, was in the prophecy business for four decades, for 40 years, and not, no one ever responded positively to anything he ever preached. And yet he kept preaching faithfully, but he never saw repentance the whole time. There was a brief period there where young King Josiah tried to, you know, tried to institute some reforms, but the reforms didn't take, and Josiah died as a young man in battle, and it was all over the moment Josiah died, and, and, and Jeremiah just said, man, he complained to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to quit preaching. I'm, I'm just going to quit preaching at one point, and then Jeremiah, and, and then, then the next sentence he said, But the word of God just started burning a hole in me and I couldn't keep it in. I couldn't contain it because that's the picture of a prophet in the Old Testament. The old Hebrew word for prophet was nachbi and it meant to boil over. A prophet was someone whom the Holy Spirit was so at work they couldn't contain themselves because the word would just burn a hole in them. And that was Jeremiah. But see, he preached for 40 years, never a convert. And yet, when Jerusalem falls, he says, we're not all gone. Some of us are still here. Somehow, God's mercy is still in effect. His steadfast love and his mercies never cease, never cease to amaze, never fail. And there's two words in the text here. Now, let me finish what I said. What, the difference between mercy and grace is what? Mercy is we don't get what we deserve. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. The old acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. We get blessed. In grace, we're given everything we need even though we don't deserve it. Mercy is we don't get what we deserve. Grace is we get what we don't deserve. Now, in the text, there are two words. And the the modifiers all say basically the same thing. Steadfast, never ceases, never comes to an end. Denotes some kind of infinitude there, right? I mean, this supply never runs out. What is it? Steadfast love. It's the word hesed. You have to say it with a hard H if you're going to say the Hebrew. Hesed is found about 250 times in the Old Testament. It's sometimes translated as mercy, sometimes 
uh, loving kindness. And the best translation is right here in, in the ESV. Steadfast love, covenant love. This is God's covenant-making kind of love. And the New Testament word that matches up with chesed is agape. Sacrificial love. I love you, period. His steadfast love, his steadfast love never ceases. And, and then there's the word for mercy in that verse. His mercies, his compassions never come to an end. Uh, this is another interesting Hebrew word. It has a, a Hebrew meaning, and it has also a, a, a New Testament, a Greek counterpart. In the Greek, it's the word spalachnia, which is the, the word for, for, for compassion comes from the same root as intestines. Somehow, the, in Hebrew thought, if you really feel, feel something deep, you have to feel it in, down in your intestines. And so, in the old King James, they talked about having bowels of mercy. <laughs> All right. In in the Hebrew, this word compassion comes from the the same root as the uh, as their word for womb, for a mother's womb. Wow, think of that. His compassions, his compassions, they fail not. See, the, one of the most popular religions in Jesus' day was Stoicism, and and Stoics believed. That if God is all-powerful, then he can't be in any way touched or influenced by, by men. He cannot feel anything from men. And so if you were stoic, you had no, you, you literally, you were a void of feelings. You couldn't feel any hurt or compassion or anything because you were in total control at all times. And God had to be, that had to be the, who God was, that he was you know, he was stoic. He was not in any way impressed or, or felt anything for any of us. And then along comes Jesus in the New Testament, and it says that Jesus felt compassion for people. Splatnia. I mean, he felt it in his gut. He kind of broke the mold of popular thinking in the time because he's saying, he's saying God is moved when we suffer. He hurts when we hurt his compassions. They never, they, they, they never fail. They never, they never end. He, he feels for us. He hurts with us. I don't know, can you wrap your mind around that? And, and this is what Jeremiah is saying. This is what, you know, that you and I have to recall is that, you know, that God is in, in, in a, whatever situation or circumstance we're in, he's in there with us. He cares. He cares deeply. And his steadfast love is going to sustain us through it. So let's be honest. And then let's recall to memory. Now, I, I've got to just give you a little word of of. of of warning here. If you're not in relationship with the living God, if you're, you haven't started a relationship with him, you're going to have a hard time recalling memories of when God was uh, like showed up in your life and was faithful. 
because you really don't have a history. Kind of tough. So you really got to be in that relationship. Because when you're in that relationship, you know, where, you know, where God has revealed himself to you and your need for salvation, and you've responded and you've opened the way, and the, and the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in you, saying then the Holy Spirit's going to be real quick to take you back to remind you of those times and places and events in your life where God showed up and God answered prayer and God, and God spoke through, you know, through a friend and, who came alongside or, or, or into a circumstance, and, and then you, you began to see God's healing See, it, it, it means it requires a bit of history. If you're gonna in that, if you're gonna call to mind, if you're gonna bring up in memory, you kind of need a little. You need a little history, don't you? Right. Well, no. but I am telling you, you can start the journey today. <laughs> you know, and, and you can walk out of here. You know, what I'm saying, and making history with Jesus this morning by simply just saying, "Okay, Lord, I don't think I know you, but it, but I." I understand if you died on the cross for me, and I, I want to I start that relationship because I want to be able to look back over my life and know I didn't do, have to do this alone. Okay, so, right, so we're going to be honest. We're going we're gonna to recall to our mind those times when God showed his faithfulness and goodness in our life. And then number three, um, in the text, he says, they are new every morning. His mercies, which were mentioned before, never come to end. They are made new. They are brand new. They are made fresh every single day. So in light of that, how would it be best to start out your day? How about with him? He's, he's supplying fresh mercies every day. I would challenge you to begin, if you're not already doing so, spending the very first part of your day with him. I, I believe God likes to drink coffee because I always get a cup of coffee and go to my chair, you know, where the conversation starts with him because we drink coffee together. But I would think, in light of the fact that his mercies are brand new and fresh every day. I, I love Matthew Ward. I don't know if you know him. He's a songwriter. And he, he wrote this song four or five years ago. And you probably haven't heard of it. But it was called Day One. And it was based on this, on this passage in Lamentations 3. And basically, Matthew Ward was just singing, every day is day one. You just got to wake up fresh. Because we're starting fresh with God every day. We're just, it's, a, it's a fresh start. So why wouldn't you want to start your day with Jesus? I mean, that's the best thing I can offer. Is that he wants to meet with you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to experience and know that you've got the supply of what you need for that day. That you can sit down with him and you can say, Lord, here's kind of, I've got this meeting. I know I'm going to see, you know, uh, yeah, Jody, uh, yeah, I'm going to meet and we're going to hang out, you know, and have breakfast, right, Mr. Wilson? Okay, so, I mean, you know, if you know who's kind of on the schedule, you know you got this big meeting and boy, that's a critical decision being made over there. 
Why not run that all by Jesus in the morning and say, Lord, I'm going to need wisdom. I'm going to need whatever you'll, if, you, if you'll just supply, I'm just going to walk with you today. Great idea. Let's do that. Let's, let's begin our day with, with him. Now, you remember the children of Israel in the wilderness? And uh, they needed daily provision. And so God said, every day you get up and you go into the fields and you gather that manna fresh. But what did he also say? Now, let me just give you a warning. Don't try to save that up for the next day. Because if you've gathered the manna and you fill your pots up and then you go put those in the pantry and save them for the next day, when you go look in the pantry, what are you going to find? Maggots and worms. God told the people, here's how it works. I make provision for you every day. I want you to go out there and gather it every morning. Gather what you need. And you, as much as you need for the day, just gather it. But don't save it for the next day. Live it one day at a time. Live in my presence one day at a time. And what you'll discover is that my mercies are renewed every day. My supply will be fresh every day. So start your morning with God. That's third. Number four, keep the conversation going all day long. Start the, start the conversation, but keep the conversation going all day long. I, I, I love this phrase, um, live in a conversational relationship with God. That's from Dallas Willard, one of his discipleship books. Live in a conversational relationship. You, you notice the ease that here is, here is a Jeremiah and he is reflecting and remembering on, the, on the, the steadfast love and the mercy of God. And then he just, he prays. He just found, he just, he just prays. He just, he looks up to heaven and says, great, great is your faithfulness. It's just extemporary. It's just, it, you know, it just, it just flows. And I'm just saying, if you'll begin your day with God, then why not just keep the conversation going throughout the day? I mean, make it a practice to, 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 uh, to have frank, open, honest conversations with God through the day. And, uh, I, and Lamentations chapter 5, okay? I, I told you, it's different. It's different. In the first... The, the first four, they're acrostics. They're carefully kind of worded and structured. But in, in chapter 5, it's just, a, it's, just this, it's just this a gut prayer. It's just him. It's, just, it's, it's more emotional, um, unstructured, chaotic. I don't know what you want to call it. But you know, basically, he's just pouring out his heart. Uh, to God for his, for his people in, in chapter 5. You know, it's just honest, straightforward communication, right? Now, I want, I want you to listen to the last two verses of the book. This is the last two verses of Lamentations. You ready? Chapter 5, it gets to the end. It's also 22 verses, but not because it's an acrostic. He just did it that way, okay? But chapter, chapter, chapter 5, very end of the book. Listen, he's praying. He's in a conversation with God. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. 
unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Amen? What just happened? Jeremiah, just being honest, he's looking at all the devastation around him. He's looking at, you know, at at the remaining uh, citizens of Jerusalem being put in chains and carted off to 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 slavery in 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 Babylon. And he's he's praying, and, he, and he's just basically saying he just kind of leaves his prayer right there in the middle of it, and just says, "God, I'm praying, I'm asking for restoration, unless unless." You've utterly rejected us. Maybe you've utterly rejected us. Maybe it's... Wow, that's honesty. And I'm just encouraging you. Number one, get honest with God and and start calling to memory those times when God has... You know, those sacred memories where God has been at work in your life and, 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 uh, and, 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 and... Take a look again at God's, God's character. You know, what you've learned about who he is. Refresh your memory and start your day with him and, and continue this prayer, this conversation, this real conversation through the, through the day. And then, and then I would suggest, as Jeremiah says, wait patiently for him. Now it's time for you to wait patiently for him. Verse 25, the Lord is good for those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's so good for a man to, that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There he may find hope. Where he, he, there yet may be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be, excuse me, be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So wait patiently for him. And here's the problem. We're the microwave generation. Right? want to wait for anything I mean delayed gratification is not in our vocabulary is it I mean seriously you want to know you want to know who has the world's fastest internet Chick-fil-a yeah you go to Chick-fil-a you know if you if you drive up in the drive-thru they got four or five people out there with those little computers, and they're getting your order while you're just you just first get in line, and you get up to you know, and they go really fast, and you get up to the window, and then they're handing your food to you, and like, whoa! But if you go inside, trust me, you try this. You go inside, you pay with your credit card, you put your chip in. You know what I'm saying? Your chip will not be in there two seconds. It'll go boom. Remove your chip. I'm going. I'm in, I'm in Walgreens, and I wait for thirty seconds sometimes. I, you know what I'm saying? I'm tired of waiting in Walgreens for them to read my chip, tell me to take my card out. I'm going to Chick-fil-A, man, and boom. That's our generation. Right? We don't want no slow internet. 
Right? Wow, this is going to be a real challenge for most of us in this room. How do you learn to wait patiently on the Lord? How do you learn to sit quietly? Sit quietly? What? And listen until he begins to reveal himself, until he begins to speak, until he begins to give guidance and instruction through his word and actively waiting. I'm not talking about just being passive, but I'm just saying, but, 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 but prayerfully carving out time to listen. I mean, when, anybody here ever, ever done a prayer retreat where you like just took a whole day off to go walk in the woods and just pray? What are you waiting for? Think God might enjoy a day with you in the woods? Why not? Well, that's crazy. I'm busy. Are you that busy? Lord says, man, I'd I'd love to meet with you. (laughs) You going to carve out some time for that? Patiently waiting for him. And then the last thing I would say to you, and we need to close. Cultivate a heart and attitude of surrender or submission. Cultivate a heart and attitude of surrender and submission. We sang it. In the, man, John, thanks for the songs today. Man, I, I, just, I, I just enjoyed being in worship with, with you guys this morning. We sang it. We sang it. What can I say? What can I do but offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. I mean, did you mean that when you were singing that? Or are we just reading the words on the screen? What can I say? What can I do? Except offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. Now, interesting. See, like in this text, you know, in, in Jeremiah gives us three word pictures. The first, he says, it's really good that you experience the yoke at this time in your life. It's really good that you, uh, you find yourself uh, crawling in the dust, eating dirt. Good. That you would be slapped on the cheek and you would turn the other cheek. All three of those word pictures say the same thing. Submission. Submission. Then I'm, you, you know, the people of Jerusalem have had to give up control of their lives. And what Jeremiah is saying is that it isn't the Babylonians who have put you in the yoke. It's not the Babylonians that have pushed your head down into the dirt. It's not the Babylonians that have slapped you on your cheek. The Lord has either allowed it or he is disciplining you for a reason because you have to learn to bring your life under submission to him. To him. We're going to sing. 
we're going to sing the hymn that came out of this text. I asked John if he would lead us in that. Great is thy faithfulness. It was written by Thomas Chisholm. Chisholm was, as a young man, grew up in Franklin, Tennessee, and he felt the call of God into ministry. And so he put himself through the grueling task of a seminary education. He got his first church, and he lasted one year. He got deathly sick, ill, in, that, in his first year of ministry and was forced to resign. And it took, it took months to restore his health. And he ended up moving from Tennessee to New Jersey and becoming an insurance salesman. But he didn't quit writing. He wrote poems. And one of the poems that he wrote, he sent to John Runyon, who was the director of the music school at, at Moody Bible Institute. And John Runyon, in 1925, took the poem of Thomas Chisholm and put it to music. And we're going to sing it together with all our hearts. Would you stand with me?